Well, thanks, Doug. Hey, good morning again, and welcome, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Matt, and I get to continue on in a teaching series on Sundays that we started, uh, we started three or four weeks ago, um, and we're almost wrapped up. I get to share today uh, kind of the next, the next message in line for a series that's called The Moral of the Story, The Moral of the Story. All through this series, what we're doing is basically uh, just picking one story that Jesus told each week and just kind of digging into it a little bit. Jesus used stories frequently in, in his ministry, in the way that he taught. He used stories to connect with people. He used stories to try to um, get points across. I mean, we, we all appreciate that, right? We, we like to use stories to uh, learn things. We like to watch movies and read books and all that stuff. Jesus knew his audience and was just trying to connect with them on another level by using these stories. Lots of people call them parables. Um, For this series, uh, we're looking at a number of different ones. Today, the title is this, a story about who loves God more. A story about who loves God more. And we'll get into the actual text of that in just a little bit. But some introductory things first. The, f- the first thing I want to share with you is um, just a personal thing about myself. There's something that I really enjoy doing. I think it drives my wife crazy when I do it. Um, but, but I have a habit of um, trying to, to dig into and think about um, what all might go into like my current situation. And so I'll do this thing lots of times where we'll just be like out to eat dinner or driving in the car or sitting at church or wherever it is. And I'll just start to like think about stuff. And, and um, it's not good because sometimes I, I, it disconnects me from paying attention to what I should be paying attention to. But I'll do things like start thinking like what what all is going into the fact that I'm, I'm listening to someone's voice like through a microphone and through some speakers? Um, how, do, how, like, how do wireless microphones work? I wonder what the technology is that like, makes that take place. And so it goes like, through a transmitter into a receiver, and then that receiver has got to be plugged in around here somewhere. Like, I wonder where that's at. And then from there, it's got to send a signal to, an, to the soundboard and then into an amplifier and then through cables into speakers. And sometimes I honestly will just like drive myself crazy like thinking about stuff like that. And um, sometimes it's a way to distract myself. Sometimes it's just to feed my curiosity because I just, I like to spend time thinking about like, what did it take to make this possible for me to be experiencing this right now? Um, we, I'll, I'll do this even every once in a while. When we're driving down the road. We just went on a, a trip out of town a week or two ago and we spent a bunch of time in the car, and so we're, we're driving in the car and driving down the highway, and I just was thinking for a second, like, man, there's, there's so much that goes into my ability to be able to be driving 80 miles an hour down the freeway right here. Um, there's technology for decades and generations and hundreds of years that has, like, built to this moment where like a combustion engine can work. And then I started thinking about like, how does that even work? And how is that making the axles like turn and propelling us down the road? And these tires that can like support all of this weight and stay together, like so like I can go deep into it, but it's not always a healthy thing for me. 
But one of the things that I've realized is that sometimes when I do that, when I stop and when I really like dig in and I consider like what, what all has had to have taken place for me to be here now in this situation experiencing what I'm experiencing, it has caused me at times to develop a much deeper appreciation for all kinds of different things. Like I'll, I'll think about that and, and as I let my brain go to these places like, what did it take for me to get here? What did it take for this to take place or for this experience to happen? As I think about that, it causes me to appreciate a lot of things that I find myself forgetting about if I just kind of go through my normal routine, if I open the car door and drive to the place I'm going and get out and go in. Like, I don't have that deeper sense of, of appreciation or sometimes even awe of like what all has had to have take, taken place for, for this to be my current experience or my situation or whatever. Are you kind of tracking with me just a little bit about that? So we're gonna, I want you to keep that in your mind as we transition into scripture because I think that it has to do with what we're looking at and what we can um, learn from this story that Jesus shares with us today. A story about who loves God more. We're gonna look in uh, the book of Luke. The book of Luke is one of four um, basically uh, accounts of Jesus' life and his ministry that we can uh, read about in the New Testament. Luke is one of the ones who kind of put together uh, Jesus' story. And so in the book of Luke, we can read a lot about uh, the life of Jesus and the things that he taught and situations that he was in. And so we're going to look at one of those situations today that the book of Luke tells us about. This particular situation, um, and, and you'll hear it in just a little bit, there's really kind of three primary characters. So there's Jesus. He's he is the first one. And then there are two other characters. Um, and you'll learn a little bit more as we read about it. But, but the major point of, uh, I, I believe, why we have this little section to even read is because Jesus uses this situation in this setting to kind of take um, two pretty different responses to God and contrast them and kind of says, here's... Here's one possible response to God that has some problems with it. And here's another response to God that um, we should hold up and emulate. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. The book of Luke, we're going to read it first, and then we'll get into it a little bit more. If you want, you can look on the screen. All of the text is going to be on the screen. You can also look in your, in, uh, your Bible if you'd like. Luke chapter 7, 36 through 47, a story about who loves God more. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. If scripture is new to you at all, uh, Pharisees are one of the um, religious groups. This was, this was a group of religious folks who really uh, were trying to do what they thought was right to follow God. There, was, there were a lot of ways that uh, Jesus kind of um, called out some things that were maybe unhealthy in the way that the Pharisees practiced their religion. But ultimately, the Pharisees were a group of Jews who were trying to honor God and trying to do their, the best that they knew how to follow 
God. They, they often were criticized for getting um, kind of wrapped up in religiosity and uh, in rules and that kind of thing. Um, but just so you know, a Pharisee, a religious leader in the community, someone who is, is trying to follow God, invites Jesus. I'm sure he's heard about Jesus, heard some of the things that Jesus has been teaching. I, my guess is he's just trying to find out for himself. Like, I wonder who this guy is. Like, I need, to, I need to dig in a little bit more. So he invites Jesus into his home for a meal. It says Jesus goes to the Pharisee's house, reclines at the table. We continue. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This might be one of the weirdest dinner parties ever. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine like what it would be like if we invited some friends over to our house and we're hanging out and just kind of chatting, enjoying a nice meal together. And then someone who <laughs> with questionable reputation walks through the front door and walks up behind one of our guests who's there and starts cleaning his feet with <laughs> her tears and her hair and is pouring perfume on them. I, like, I just, I don't want to lose that this is not like an everyday situation. This would be weird for us today. I think it was weird for them at that point as well. But nevertheless, we have an example of one person's response to Jesus. We can only assume that she's had some kind of interaction with him before, that this is not the first time that uh, she has encountered Jesus. We can assume that, that she has likely had some previous encounter that has caused her to have such an overwhelming desire to come and do something to show her gratitude, do something to honor him, that this is, this is her way of saying, I, I don't know what else to do but just to come and, and give myself to you somehow. We can keep reading on the next slide. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So we get a little bit of a glimpse into kind of the attitude in the heart that, that Simon the Pharisee is coming from. That it, that he kind of says, first, this makes me wonder if Jesus really is actually a prophet. Because if he actually was a prophet, I think that he would be so concerned with how he might be defiled by interacting with this sinner, um, I, I don't think he would have anything to do with this lady. Let's keep reading. Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. So this is where Jesus goes into the, to the part where he uses a little bit of a story to try to get a point across. Jesus tells this story. He says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. 
One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Um, types of money from, from their day. I read somewhere that, that 500 denarii was, was uh, like many months' wages. Uh, the 50 denarii was, was maybe around like a month's wages. So you can kind of think, like th- these are not small debts that are owed. It says, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. And then Jesus finishes with this question, now which of them will love him more? Let's stop and just think about that for a second. Uh, it's an interesting question, interesting story, situation to present. Which of them will love him more? I mean, you can already see maybe where Jesus is going a little bit with this. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Next slide. It says, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. This is interesting, and there's some different ways that, that you can try to interpret this. There's, there's people that have read this in the past and said, well, uh, Jesus must be saying that um, because of the love that she showed, because of her actions, that was the reason why Jesus forgave her. And I don't think that that's what's taking place here. I think that what Jesus is trying to communicate is that her actions, her her loving demonstration was in response to the forgiveness that she had experienced. That her loving response and, and actions and demonstration were a response to the significance of the forgiveness that she had experienced. And in contrast, we see Jesus telling Simon, you know, she did this and you didn't. And this other thing you didn't do and she did do. There are two responses to Jesus here that we can see. Um, I was... I was at Fry's the other day, and I was getting some groceries. I was just in a hurry. I had to get uh, some groceries and then get on to do some things for the rest of my day. And um, I was just checking out. I had a cart full of stuff. Um, I went to slide my card or to, like, put my card in, and she had already, like, scanned all of my stuff. It was already, like, mostly bagged and ready to go. I scanned my card, and it, like, got rejected and didn't work. And it was one of those moments where it's like, oh, what is, what is the problem? I knew, like it was my debit card, I knew that my account had plenty of funds in it, but for whatever reason, the machine was not working. And so we tried it two or three times. By about the third time, I looked around and realized, oh, every single one of these machines is like 
not working. And so every cashier was not able to like process the payments. And, but I've, I felt stuck. All my stuff was ready to go. I really needed all the stuff I was getting and I really needed to like get on with my day. And so uh, the, the part of my heart where Jesus lives like came out, I'm, I'm being um, sarcastic there for a second, but um, the, I just, I started getting frustrated. I was tapping my foot. I'm like looking at my watch, trying to figure out like when these incompetent cashiers are going to get their system figured out. <laughs> and I really, it's like not, those, those things are like not pretty things, especially when you like recognize them in yourself, when you see attitudes and, and pieces of your heart that you wish were not exactly like that. But, but I'm frustrated. I'm like getting impatient. I'm thinking about what kinds of like uh, non-helpful things I want to say to the people that are around me and all this stuff, how I can contribute to the situation by complaining more. Um, and I just stopped for a second and I, and I realized like there's nothing that I can do here. And, and I, I, I think that just sometimes God's grace like gives us moments where we see ourselves and see things in ourselves that like aren't pleasing to him. And so I think it was like God's grace that helped me see for a second that like, I, I was just thinking, you know what, like I am, I am impatient and I'm frustrated here because it's going to take a couple of extra minutes to like pay for my groceries. And even if I have to come back later or if I have to do something else, like whatever. But there's, there are people that their response to this situation based on where they're coming from would be wildly different than what my response is. Like my response to this situation is based on where I'm coming from, and it's based on my experiences, and it's based on the fact that I have a, a expectation level of like efficient grocery checkouts. I have a um, the fact that I can even go to a grocery store and pick out food and put it in a cart and pay for it and take it home, like that is something that I'm so comfortable with that I have this expectation that it's got to go like the way I want it to go. And I stood there thinking like, dude, there's people literally like uh, even just in our community that don't have the ability to go pick out the stuff that they want at the grocery store and put it in a cart and pay for it and take it home. And based on their situation, their circumstances, their response to this situation might be different too. There, there are people that would say like, who cares if it takes you longer? Like, y you still have money to buy food. Like, who cares if it takes you an hour? You're gonna be able to feed your kids tonight, right? Like, there's people in this world that would say like, you, there's a grocery store, like, you, you don't have to grow your own food. See, for us, like, when we put meals on our table, it's like a, a many months long investment of our time and energy and hard work. For us to drink clean water, it takes us hours to go hike and then drag the water back on our backs, and you're complaining about couple extra minutes standing in line at the grocery store waiting for your bottle of water. And so, literally, and so I'm thinking this, and um, then I was able to all get it all done and, and leave. But I'm thinking, like, there, based on your circumstances and what you've become comfortable with, it's very easy to have vastly different responses to something. And, and 
I don't think it was a, a coincidence that I was thinking through some of those things as I'm looking and reading this scripture this week. And, and so what, what I see in this is that there are two people that based on their circumstances, based on their situation and what they've gone through and their attitudes, they have vastly different experiences and responses to Jesus. That on the one hand, the, the, the religious leader, the Pharisee, Simon, he responds to Jesus with a lot of things that are, are not very helpful. He responds to Jesus based on a lot of attitudes that have developed in his heart and in his life. What I want to do is just look at a couple of the things that I think, I think that uh, based on his response would be things that would be warning signs for us, too, in the way that we respond to Jesus. The first thing that, that I think is something that, that uh, was, was there in Simon's response was apathy. I think, I think on a certain level, he just, he had things he cared about, and then he had things he didn't care about. And, and apathy is one of the things that kind of won the day for him. So there's a blank to fill in that says apathy is the enemy of love. I would just say that I think, I, 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 would, I would say that I, I believe that this woman's response is the, the response of love that would be held up as the thing for us to look at um, as the, the right or correct or valuable or better response. And the apathy is something that kept Simon from being able to respond to Jesus in that way. I also, I also think that apathy is something that keeps us from responding to God in, in ways that we need to. Apathy is really just like not caring and, and uh, a lack of concern or a lack of care. I think that, I think that some of these things, um, my hope for me, even as I read this, is, is to look at it and say, you know, what are the things that I see in Simon in myself? Like, are there, are there things that he did in his response to Jesus that I need to look in the mirror and be honest about? Because the reality is, I, I think that I have a tendency to respond more like he does. I don't think I always respond the way that this woman responds with, with a lavish act of love and gratitude. I think that apathy is one of the things that causes me sometimes to go there. And it's, it's, it's just losing the importance. It's really easy. Like our natural tendency is to always slide into places where it's just not important to respond well to God. It, like, it's, it's easier to kind of do nothing or to be lazy or to just not care. Um, the second thing, self-righteousness is the enemy of love. I think that self-righteousness is such a, such a detrimental and dangerous um, trap that we can fall into as, as Christians and as people who are trying to follow uh, uh, Christ, we can, we can easily let self-righteousness 
take hold in us. Self-righteousness is just valuing ourselves higher than we should. And when we do that, it causes us to minimize the value of the people that are around us as well. And so self-righteousness is thinking like, hey, I've, I've got it together, and not only do I have it together, I've, I have it a lot more together than he's got it together. Like, I've got things um, more under control than they do, and that makes me, like, feel okay about myself. And self-righteousness keeps us from responding to Jesus in the way that we need to. I mean, part of, part of Simon's response um, is to immediately, like, it, that, that little section where it says he, he thought to himself, like, if, if he really was a prophet, like, he wouldn't let this lady be in his, in his space. And, like, you can, you can glean from reading those words. Like, he, he had a conclusion he'd come to about this woman. He, he had uh, value judgments that he was making about this woman and about her uh, worthiness to be in their house, her worthiness to even be approaching Jesus. Self-righteousness keeps us from the place where we can respond in love and in gratitude to God. Self-righteousness also keeps us from being able to respond and love each other the way that we're called to as followers of Jesus. Self-righteousness keeps us from being able to respond to the world and our community the way that followers of Jesus are called to. Self-righteousness has no place in the life of a follower of Jesus. And yet, it's an easy place to slip to. It's an easy thing that, that can take hold sometimes without us even realizing it. But it keeps us from the place that God wants us to be. Condemnation is the enemy of love here. Part of his, his response shows, uh, again, the conclusions he's made about this woman. That she's, because of her past, because of what has gone on, because of the, her reputation, that, that she is a sinner, she is destined to be a sinner, she will forever be a sinner. And, and that's not how Jesus sees it. Yeah, we do this, we do this, and it causes us again to look down on the people around us, to look down on people that God has great love for, Cynicism is the enemy of love. Part of his response was saying, yeah, he must not really be a prophet like, like I thought. If he's letting this happen, yeah, he can't be really what he says he is. And sometimes we do those, we, we let cynicism creep in as an attitude that, that we just let live with us. And sometimes even in our culture, cynicism is, is almost even celebrated sometimes. Like it's, it's definitely not got the same negative connotation that some of these other ones do. Cynicism like reigns in our culture. Cynicism can reign in us. And what it can cause us to do is, is uh, just to turn our backs to be skeptical of anything that might be different than the conclusion we've already come to. 
Cynicism keeps us from being able to respond to God with gratitude and love. And it causes us to, to respond to the things that he's done for us with a, a sort of doubt or a flippancy. And instead, Jesus holds up the example of this woman. He says, you, Simon, didn't do any of these things for me. But here's what she did. Humility leads to forgiveness. He points out her humility. That she comes to him not thinking anything of herself. There's not many, many ways that I can think of to demonstrate humility more than kind of what this lady does in this story. Like putting yourself in, in a situation where, where you, I mean, I, she had to know how she would be viewed and how she would be thought of when she even walked into this room with these people, let alone when she got down on her knees and started weeping and, and using her hair to clean Jesus' feet. Like that is a, that is a position of saying, I am... I am not worthy to, to be in your presence, but I'm so grateful that you're like letting me sit here and be here with you. I know that I'm nothing like compared to you, but I, I, I have to do something. Humility leads to forgiveness. We, we read through scripture that, that forgiveness is available to, to those who repent, to those who turn, to the, those who recognize and, and admit their sins. And it's that humility that leads to forgiveness for her. And then it's as a result of the forgiveness, this act of love. And forgiveness is the thing that drives us to respond in love. When we're honest about the true condition of our sinful hearts, his sacrifice and his grace will inspire deep love in us. I don't know when you look at these two examples of people responding to Jesus, I don't know which of these you see more in yourself. I don't know if you see more of the ways that you allow an attitude of self-righteousness or condemnation or cynicism to sneak in and kind of rule the way you think and the way you live. It's pretty easy for us to do, though. Even for those of us who, who really are wanting to follow God and wanting to, to do the things he, he wants us to do, it just, it's comfortable. And when we live in that place of comfortability, it just kind of, and it becomes mechanical or habitual or routine to just kind of go through the motions, it's easy to just kind of get to that place where it's like, oh, yeah, like grace, forgiveness, like that stuff is great. Hallelujah. Same, same thing as yesterday. But like the reality is, I really believe that if we are not regularly going to the place where we are made more and more aware, where we are reminding ourselves 
of really what's happening, of really what God has done for us, of really the depths from which he has rescued us. Our tendency will always be to respond like the Pharisee. But it's when we can stop and think and consider and meditate on the fact that God in heaven loves me so much. That he loves you so much. That he was willing to send his son to a cross to pay for the ugliness that has taken place in your life so that you could be made whole and so that you could be made new. And as I go back to that, it causes me to want to respond to Jesus with humility and with love. When I go back to those things, that's what helps me to fight against the tendency towards cynicism and self-righteousness and condemnation and apathy. Is when I go back and say, I, I need to try to wrap my head around this again. That you love, that you love me. Like, I know the darkness of my heart. In humility as we come, in humility as we remember the depths from which he has brought us, it causes us to push against our tendencies to become like Simon in this story. And it helps us to get closer to the place where we're responding to God in gratitude and love and recognizing his great gift of salvation to us. Would you just stand up with me? I want to share with you two last things. The first is I, I just believe that this is the moral of the story, that as God's children, the more we recognize just how badly we needed to be forgiven, the more we will love our Savior and be able to demonstrate his immeasurable mercy and grace toward others. Those who are forgiven much will love much. That's what he says. Like as you, as you contemplate and are made more and more aware and remind yourselves of what you've been forgiven, it can lead us to love and demonstrate mercy and grace to others. We're gonna just finish with a prayer. We've been doing this re recently, and I think, there's, I think there's power in speaking some of these words out loud and, and saying some of these things to God. And so I, I wanna invite you to just join me in some of these things. If, if you're not comfortable doing it, you can snap a photo and, and maybe go back to this later this afternoon or something. But um, if you feel comfortable, would you just join me out loud in, in this prayer? Lord Jesus, I recognize that too often my life is lacking in love for you and love for others. I look at people through the lens of criticism and quick judgment. I'm too frequently cynical. My life is not always marked by your love. 
I grieve this, Lord. Forgive me for my pride and self-righteousness. I know that it keeps me from loving others, and it keeps me from loving you with the passion that I should. That's not who I want to be. I want to love you much more, Jesus, than I currently do. Give me greater understanding of the depth from which you have rescued me and allow that to inspire greater love in my heart every day. In your kind and powerful name, amen. It is amazing grace that we have access to God in the ways that we do. It is amazing grace that we can turn from our past and, and have an opportunity to start fresh. Don't let, don't let days go by this week where that's not on the front of your thinking, where that's not something that is running through your mind. That God has rescued me, that God has given me something incredible. And just sit with that and be in awe of who he is. We have a prayer team over to the right of the stage. If you have anything that we can pray for you for this morning, we'd love to pray for you. Um, everyone else, thank you for joining us. We serve a good God, and we are recipients of some amazing things from him.